Well, good morning. I'm really intrigued by this pot party. Are you, are you the resident pot expert, Dr. Ray? <laughs> no, it's, it's a thrill to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Jimmy Muir, and as, as Dr. Ray said, I've known his family for a very long time, and I'm very thrilled to be here actually wrapping up the, the Go Fish series for you all. Um, let me first tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, I have been married for about nine years now, uh, to my wonderful wife, Heather. There, there she is. We have a three-year-old son named Cohen James, and uh, they're going to be here for the second service. He'll be running around back in the, in the children's area there, hopefully behaving himself wonderfully, which I'm sure he will because he has awesome parents. We're, we're pot experts as well, or we will be. But uh, no, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here this morning, and I know that if I'm here doing a series entitled Go Fish, it's only right that I would share my best fishing story with you all, right? I mean, I have to start, I have to start somewhere. And it's actually about the 10-year anniversary of the greatest fishing experience I've ever had. So I'm, I'm really excited about this monumental occasion in my life. About 10 years ago, three buddies of mine and myself decided we were going to go fishing. Four guys, early 20s at the time, and, uh, you know, we thought we knew what we were doing. So we go out on my buddy's boat, Isom, and Isom is a fishing expert. I mean, he had the boat, the equipment. The rest of us were just a bunch of schmoes that followed along. We just threw the line where he told us to throw the line, and we let him do all the work. So we, we get in Isom's boat, and we go out on the ocean because we want to catch some big fish today. We're not messing around. We're going for some big fish. And so we get in this boat, all four of us, Isom, Ben, Randy, and myself, and we go out early, early in the morning because that's when you catch the biggest fish. And so we're out really early in the morning, and we're doing this thing called trolling, okay? I don't know if you're familiar with trolling, but when you want to catch a big fish, you don't just drop your line at the bottom. You actually troll, which means you put your line in the water, and then the boat moves, okay? So it's like moving bait for these, these big fish. So we're trolling. And we spend some time trolling, and to be honest with you, it's getting kind of boring. I mean, we were just waiting for something to happen, and nothing was happening, and then all of a sudden, right? That's how it always happens. All of a sudden, the, fit, the, the reel on the back of the boat, because you just stick it in its little slot, just bends straight over. I mean, just straight towards the ground. And we freak out at this point, because we've been here for hours now, waiting for a big fish, and we think we've got this big fish at this point. So Ben grabs the reel out of the holster, and Ben's the college football player of the four of us, okay? He's, he's the big muscular guy, and he's, he's got this pole, and it's bent straight down, and the rest of us are like squealing and jumping up and down because we can't believe this is actually happening. And so Ben's fighting, and he's fighting, and he's, you know, he's fighting for like 30 minutes, right? I mean, just a long time, and the pole's just bent straight down. And so Isom, who is the resident expert, begins to tell us, hey, guys, there's probably a good chance we just caught Florida, which is, is the code word for the bottom of the ocean, okay? So we probably didn't catch a really big fish because nothing's really happening. And so, but we were like, Ben, just, just keep on fighting. So Ben fights a little bit longer, a little bit longer. I mean, he's getting really exhausted. This is like 45 minutes now. And then, all of the sudden, about 100 yards out, the line, the pole that was bent down, the line gets loose a little bit. And then 100 yards out, I saw one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. Out of the water leaps this fish with a giant sword on the end of its nose. It was a sailfish. Leaps out of the water, and it does this like slow motion, National Geographic kind of 
and like winked at us and like shook its, shook its head a little bit and water went glistening and spraying everywhere and it dives straight back in the water. We can see like the, the little hook thing and we're freaking out at this point because we caught a sailfish. We caught a sailfish. I mean, this is incredible. And so Ben, you know, has this renewed energy to fight this fish. And so he's battling this fish. More and more time goes by. This fish has to be worn out at this point. Fighting it. It's getting closer and closer and closer. We can see it jumping up and down a couple of times. And finally, this fish is coming to the side of the boat. I mean, he's just worn this thing out. We're pulling the fish up to the side of the boat. And it's this, must have been a 15-foot sailfish. <laughs> it's big. Comes up to the side of the boat. And Isom, the resident expert, knows that you don't gaff or stab a sailfish to pull it in the boat. You actually have this cool glove that you grab its bill with, and then you, you pull it in the boat. So Isom is leaning over to grab the bill of this sailfish. And with one last gasp, this fish, like, reaches up, and it, like, clips the line, cuts the line, and we're done. Now, I have to pause here because the story's not over. I have to pause here because as you've already gathered, probably, I'm not a real fisherman. I'm a poser of a fisherman. A real fisherman, when they go out fishing, a real fisherman doesn't wear a bathing suit, okay? He doesn't put sunscreen on. He wears a long sleeve shirt, cargo shorts with all kinds of stuff in them, right? He's got his shoes on the whole time. Definitely wears a visor, right? I mean, that's a real fisherman. Me and Randy and Ben, I mean, we're trying to kill two birds with one stone. We're getting some sun, you know. We're, we're watching the beautiful nature, all this stuff that's going on. Well, this fish is floating away. My friend Isom is a real fisherman. Isom stands up on the side of the boat, fully clothed, watches this fish swimming away into the abyss, and just dives, spread eagle off the side of the boat, and lands on top of a sailfish. <laughs> lands on top of a sailfish. I can't repeat the just string of obscenities that came out of his mouth at the time, but he landed on a sailfish. He's got the sailfish's tail stuck under his arm here, and he's just screaming at us to get him back in the boat. And so we reach down, we grab Isom's feet, and we pull Isom in the boat, and we pull this fish in the boat all at once. I mean, is that pretty incredible? Yeah, that, that's an applause right there. I actually told Isom that one day I was going to erect a statue in his name because of, the, because of the, the feat that he had accomplished. And I tell you that story this morning because it's, it's really easy for us to get excited about experiences that we've had. It's really easy for us to share those experiences with other people, especially when we're very invested with them. Sometimes even when we're not so invested in them. I mean... How easy it is for some of you ladies to tell your friends, hey, you gotta, you got to check out this sale going on at the mall right now. It's 40% off your entire purchase. I mean, we want other people to share in our experience and what we, what we have going on. If you went to a great concert or a great football game, you want to share in that experience with someone else. You want someone else to know what an incredible experience it was. But I wonder, why do we have such a hard time sharing what most of us would say is the most incredible or exciting or important thing that's ever happened in our lives. You know, because we, we, for those of us who are believers here, who are Christians, I think if someone were to wrote the be ask you to write down the best thing that ever happened to you, most of you would say, Jesus saved me. I have a relationship with God. And if we look at our lives, it's something that we really have a hard time 
sharing with other people. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is how do, how do we do that? How do we, in our lives, in our everyday lives, go about taking this incredible thing that's happened to us and sharing it with someone else? Because it is the greatest thing that has ever happened to us, if you do have a relationship with God. But how do we do that? I know sometimes it can be kind of an intimidating thing. You know, it's one of those, you know, religion and politics are kind of things you have to be careful talking about around other people. And I understand that. But we hold, as believers, the most important, greatest message ever given to earth. And we have to share that with other people. You know, this whole series, Go Fish, is based on Jesus' recruiting pitch to the disciples. And so when he went around to find his disciples, you know, he didn't promise them all these cool things. He said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. He found these fishermen and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so here we are 2,000 years later and we look at what, what Jesus did through those disciples and how he actually made them fishers of men. How he, how he crafted them and taught them and showed them how to lead other people to pursue God. And the same thing goes for us. You know, he told them, I will make you fishers of men. Before Jesus left the earth, the last thing he said is go into all nations, baptizing them, making disciples. And that's what fishing is. It's making disciples. It's showing people how to follow Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus. So when we talk about fishing, as you have for the last five weeks, that's exactly what we mean. How do you, in your everyday life, your work, your school, wherever you're at, how do you show people what it means to follow Jesus? You know, I know last week you all talked about how the, the church is a great partner in sharing your faith. The church is a great partner in, in fishing because, trust me, I was here this morning for the, for the music. I know John and the creative team do a wonderful job in creating a great environment where you can feel comfortable inviting friends and family and know they're not going to get some, you know, slack effort. It's going to be done with excellence. I know Dr. Ray and the staff work really hard to provide a church where you can bring other people, where they can be encouraged and, and feel welcomed. And that's a great thing. But you and I also have a responsibility to be fishing as well. And while we do partner with the church to fish, we also are required and, and commanded to fish as well. So this morning, we're going to look at a situation that takes place in the life of Jesus in John chapter 4, where he actually does this. It, it's a, it's the caption over John chapter 4 in your Bible might say Jesus evangelizes. Because that's exactly what he's, what he's going to do here. We're going to look kind of at the example of what he did and see how that can translate to us today. So my goal this morning, for those of you who are believers, who have a relationship with Jesus, who would call yourself Christians, my goal is for you to take the next step wherever you are in your fishing experience. Maybe you have been faithfully sharing and telling people about the love of God and his wisdom for a long time. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Look for new ways to do that. Maybe you're here and you just, you, you believe it. You trust God. You would call yourself a Christian, but maybe you never really shared your faith. You're not sure how to do that. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I want to encourage you to take the next step. What can you do to do a little bit more than you're doing right now? For those of you who are here, maybe you're, maybe you're not a Christian uh, maybe you, you're not a believer. Maybe you don't even know what that really means. My hope is by the end of this message today that you'll know what it is to be a Christian and that you'll want to be a Christian. And we have 
people here who would love to tell you more about that. I'm going to hopefully this morning give you a good understanding of, of what it means to be a Christian. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to try to push each other to go one step further than where we're at right now. I'm going to give you some things to start with that fishing is not, because I think we have some kind of ideas about what it means to, to fish or to evangelize. Um, that isn't necessarily so. Um, I, I want to give you some just practical tips for a method of how you can at least begin fishing, so to say. And then really I want to give you some simple content. What are the things, when I'm fishing, when I'm sharing my faith, what are the things that I really need to make sure I share with someone? What are the things they, they need to know? And so we're just going to make it pretty simple, okay? And, and you can take these things and you can expound on them as much as you like, but we've got to start with the simple. So the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is what fishing is not. The first point on your outline, if you're taking notes, says this, fishing is not supposed to be something you dread. Fishing is not supposed to be something you dread. If any of you are anything like me, there are times in your life where you feel like you have an opportunity maybe to share your faith with someone, or maybe you should share your faith with someone, but there is this deep-rooted fear that you are going to be rejected, or they are going to punch you, or you know, whatever it is, you have this, this almost dread that comes along with sharing your faith, and it's not supposed to be that way. You know, the, the word uh, evangelize is actually a Greek word, euangelion. And euangelion actually means to share good news. So when we evangelize, we're sharing good news. And that's not something to dread. That's not something to be fearful of. If we really believe that it's good news, it's something we should be excited about sharing. It's not like, you know, we're inviting these people to come to the dentist, you know, with us. You know, I mean, that's something to dread for sure. But we're actually sharing good news with people. And so we have to understand that this gospel message is the best news that people can, can ever understand. So number one, fishing is not supposed to be something that you dread. Number two, fishing is not supposed to be for the experts alone. It's not supposed to be for the experts alone. And I know you talked about this a little bit, a little bit last week. And it can be a great benefit to bring people to the church, to allow us as a, as a, as a church to, to share with them and to, and to bring the gospel to them. But it's not just for the church to do as the, as the staff, as the, the volunteers. It's for everybody who's a part of the body of Christ to do that. You can, you can do it. You can fish. You know, growing up and I don't know if you've heard these kinds of stories, but I can remember, I grew up in the church, and I can remember when evangelists would come to town or preachers would come, and they would share these stories about how they were driving down the road one day, and they saw a bar, and they felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go win some souls, and so they parked their car, and they went into that bar, and the bar was full of a biker gang, and they, they got out in that bar, and they, they stepped up on the pool table, and they broke a pool cue over their knee, and they kicked over the jukebox, and one guy pulled a knife, and, and, they, and then I, you know, he shared Christ with everybody there, and shared the gospel with everybody there, and they all got saved, and then a, a college professor came out from the back, back room and was talking about how there is no God, and he used the you know, ontological argument for how there is a God and everybody was saved and they all went to seminary and they all became pastors and we, t we tend to hear these stories that are like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I could never do that. <laughs> but that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be natural. It's supposed to be part of your everyday life. I would hear those stories and I would think, 
you know, because you heard the statistics, you know, if, if every Christian would win seven other people to the Lord, then the whole world would be Christians. You know, I would think that would do the math. Well, Billy Graham's done like 7,000, 70,000, 700,000. So he, I'm probably covered in there, you know, somewhere. He's, he's done my part, my part for me. But fishing is not supposed to be for the experts alone. The next thing is fishing is not supposed to be complicated. Fishing is not supposed to be complicated. You can do this. Look who Jesus chose. He went and he didn't go to the Ivy League school. He went and he got a bunch of fishermen. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. I will show you what it means to follow Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at today is an example of when Jesus actually did this. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. The next question we're going to answer this morning is, how do I toss a line using fishing lingo? If that even is fishing lingo, I think it is. I'm a poser fisherman, remember? How do, how do I toss a line? If I'm in a fisherman, how do I even begin to do that? What are some practical things that, that I can do? The first thing, before we read John chapter 4 that I want to give you, the first point, the first thing that you can do for tossing a line is this. Be purposely aware of what is going on around you. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty simple, right? We can all do that. Be purposefully aware of what's going on around you. At your work, at your school, at home, who are the people that are around you? What is God, what is his influence that he's, that he's giving you? Let's go ahead and read John chapter 4. This is a story about Jesus. He is traveling in Israel. At this point, the uh, Pharisees, who were his uh, opponents at the time, um, were getting really mad with him. Because Jesus was a polarizing guy, and he would say some things a lot of people didn't like. And so at this point, Jesus is traveling from southern Israel to northern Israel, and they walked at that, at that time, or they took donkeys or something. But he's walking at this point. And there was a way that they would go when they would travel up to northern Israel where they would go around this area called Samaria. And Samaria was like where the, the mutts and the mudbloods lived because Samaria was the place where long ago when Israel walked away from God and these other nations came in, these pagan nations came in and they would intermarry and they would have children. Well, Samaria was the place where all those, all those people who intermarried with the pagans and all that had children and generations and families. And so they, they avoided that unclean area. But not Jesus. He does not do that. <clears throat> all right, John chapter 4. We'll read verses 5 through 9. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's a ton in John chapter 4 that we could look at. We could spend like six weeks studying John chapter 4, probably 16 weeks studying John chapter 4. We're going to look at just some basic principles here. The first thing that we notice in, in John chapter 4 is that what's going on here is a very intentional encounter. It's not an accident that Jesus goes through Samaria. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, Jesus had understanding and knew things that we cannot know. He knew people were going to be in certain places that we cannot know. So Jesus was on an encounter, going for an encounter with this woman, and it was going to happen. But Jesus sends his disciples away. They go to get food. He stays there by himself at this well, and this woman comes. And Jesus 
is aware of this. And Jesus knows what his mission and his goal is. And so this woman comes and he begins a conversation with this woman. Now, I wouldn't necessarily use the line that Jesus used when you're having a conversation with someone. It's a little abrasive. Give me a drink. Um, that's not necessarily the way that you would, you would start a conversation with someone this, this day and age. But the principle is there. That Jesus is aware of what's going on around. That he sees this woman come to the well. She's there by herself. It's the middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day. And he is there for a purpose. He is there because he is waiting on a God-appointed uh, appointment where he can speak to this woman. And so many times in our own lives, we get so busy doing what we have to do that we don't stop and recognize there are places where God wants to be at work all around us, and there are places where God is at work all around us. And a lot of times, we just miss it. When I was growing up, I used to really be into video games. Um, and so I would, I would sit there and I would play this video, whatever video game it was, and I would be like tunnel vision, like locked into this video game. People could come in the room and shout things at me and throw things at me, and I'm just locked in on this video game. I've just, I've got to do what I've, what I've got to do. And I can remember my parents would get so frustrated with me because nothing else mattered when it came to this video game that I was playing. And a lot of times we're like that in our own life is we're on a mission. We've got to do something. We're going to work or we're going to school or we've got to accomplish this goal. And we're just oblivious to what's going on around us. So the first thing we need to do, sometimes we just need to put down the controller, so to say, in, in our lives and pay attention to what God has put around us because God is at work. There's so many people in our circles of influence, neighbors, coworkers, little league baseball parents. There's so many people that God has put in your circle of influence. You just need to stop and consider, where has God allowed me to build relationships with people in my life? And then we move forward with that. And then we begin to, to recognize God's activity and how we can be a part of that. So number two, the first one was be purposely aware of what is going on around you. Number two, look for opportunities to bring up the spiritual. It's easy to have shallow conversations with people. It's easy for me to tell you about a fishing story or a Miami Dolphins football game. But for me to share with you about my faith, what I believe, that can be hard to do. And so when you are looking to, to be a fisher of men, you have to be purposeful and intentional in where are those opportunities where I can begin to talk about spiritual things. And I'm not saying you have to go full on, you know, wacko and just, you know, give them everything you've got immediately. But begin to ask them, you know, do you go to church anywhere? Maybe tell them about your church. Maybe tell them about a book that you've read or, or a place in the Bible that's, that's spoken to you. I mean, you start simple. How can you begin to take a conversation, a natural, normal, good conversation with someone? And at some point, it doesn't have to be every single time, but at some point, if you're wanting to, to help that person understand the gospel, how can you begin to at least break into the spiritual with them? So look for opportunities to talk about spiritual things. People really want that. They just don't know where to get it. But if you're someone that they trust and that you've built a relationship with them, they'll, they'll listen to you. Number three, share your story, quite simply. I'm going to skip on a little bit in John chapter 4 here, and Jesus continues this conversation with the woman. She doesn't really get it. And sometimes when you try to talk spiritual things with people, they just don't get it, and that's okay. It's okay. It, it takes time. 
But so Jesus is having this conversation with this woman and they're going back and forth a little bit. And then Jesus shares kind of his, his story, so to say. And it's different than your story or, or my story. But in John uh, chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know, so they'd broken into the spiritual, talking about spiritual things. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, the Savior, obviously. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There comes a point where you have to, if you truly care about that person, you truly want them to understand the gospel, you have to share the gospel with them. You have to tell them about, about the Savior. And the easiest way to do that, and sometimes the best way to do that, is for you to just share your story about how God rescued you or what he's done in your life. Because you know that story better than anybody else. You probably won't forget it. And, you, and even if you mess it up, no one's going to know because it's your story. And so sharing your story about how God saved you or rescued you, that's sometimes the easiest way to break into that spiritual conversation with people. And so be looking for opportunities. Be aware of what's going on around you be intentional about trying to talk about spiritual things, and then wait for the opportunity to share your story. There's a famous quote that says, share the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. I gotta be honest, I don't like that quote at all. And, and the reason is, for someone to understand the gospel, they have to hear the words of it. They have to know about Jesus. They have to know about how he saved us. If you're just doing good things, that's great. You're being a nice person, but you have to share with words, the gospel, and your story is a great way to do that. So what happens when this actually works? When you actually have, have a relationship with someone and you begin to talk about spiritual things and they're interested, they want to know more about it. Uh-oh, what, what, so I share with them my story, but what does that mean for them? What do, they, what do they need to know? And so that's where we'll finish up this morning. What do people actually need to know and do? When you get the opportunity to share your faith with someone, what do, they, what do I absolutely have to make sure that they know? John 3.16 is a great place to start. You can memorize it if you hadn't, but it has the components in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So the first one is God loves. God loves. Every single person in the world needs to know that God loves them. No matter where they're at in life, no matter what they've done, there is a God who created them and they may have walked far, far, they may have run far away from him, but he loves them. He is their creator and he wants nothing more than his creation to come back to himself. So people need to know John 16, 316, for God so loved the world. God loves. That's the first thing. When you get the opportunity, God loves. Make sure people know that God loves them. Second thing is God rescues. God rescues. And you can, you know, as you're, some of you obviously will know how God rescues very well. You've experienced it. You've studied it. You know. But God came up with a way before the foundation of the world to rescue the world when his creation had gone far from him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. How did he do it? He gave his only son. That Jesus, Jesus came. When we were far from God, we could do nothing about it. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God did something about it. And God rescues. And he sent Jesus Christ as a man to the earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life, deserving no punishment on his own. He had done nothing wrong. 
but the, the sin of the world was put upon Jesus' shoulders. And he died and paid the penalty for sin so that I don't have to, so that you don't have to, so that anyone who believes would not have to pay that, that penalty. Because otherwise, we're on our own. If we, don't, if we don't believe that Jesus paid the penalty for us, then guess who pays that penalty? We take it on our own shoulders. And that's a very, very bad thing. But God loves and God saves. Those are two crucial things, very simple things for you to be able to share with people. And no matter where you're at, God can save you. And he does this through Jesus Christ. The third thing. So the first thing, two things are what God has done. The third thing is, is what we do. We repent and we believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting, eternal life. We have to believe and we have to repent. And those two things, to be honest with you, go hand in hand. Because when you as a human being come to the realization that there is a God in heaven who has given you something that you could never earn. He has rescued you from a place you could never get out of on your own. When the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God moves within you to believe that, that changes everything. And you want to believe that. You want to pursue that. You want to understand that more. And along with understanding and appreciating what God has done on your behalf as a result of that, guess what? You want to repent. You want to turn from those things that you do that, that pull you away from God. You want to run from putting yourself as the God of your life because you recognize the splendor and the wisdom and the majesty of who God is. How could I ever pursue something else instead of God? So the Bible calls us to believe and to repent. And those things go hand in hand. And as you have the opportunity to share with people, because God gives you a circle of influence in your life, whether you recognize it or not, tell them those things. That God loves them. That God saves. And how do, we, how do we unlock that, so to say? How do we receive that? It's through believing and through repenting. Fishing is a lifestyle. It's not a bunch of bullet points that you have to cite off, not, a, not an acrostic or anything like that. It's living your life aware of God's activity around you. It's having the courage to speak spiritual things into people's life. And ultimately, to share with them the good news. The euangelion. The gospel. Because it is the most important message in the history of the world. Let's go ahead and finish by reading John chapter 4. We'll read verses 39 to 42. We're skipping some more verses here. Jesus has spoken with this woman. He's told her that I am the Messiah. Needless to say, that piques her attention a little bit. She goes back and uh, she goes back to her village and she tells everybody what had happened. And there's a lot of backstory to this about who this woman was and how she was probably rejected by the community. A woman by herself in the middle of the day getting water is was symbolically a bad thing at the time, culturally. But she goes back. And here's what happens, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Not because of the actions that she did, but because of what she told them. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Look what happened. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves 
And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And there you have in John chapter 4 a story of Jesus evangelizing, sharing the good news about himself. And we can do this. Yeah, it looks a little bit different in our life, in our, in our culture, and that's okay. But the things are simple to do. Look for what's around you. Get involved with that. Don't be afraid to talk about spiritual things with people. And ultimately, know your, know your main things. God loves. God saves. We just have to repent and believe. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, uh, I'm so thankful that you have entrusted us with this message that we can share, that you want to use people to share your goodness and your plan and your mercy and your love with the entire world. Lord, we're, we're messed up. We fail to do that a lot. We're scared to do that a lot. We feel like we don't know enough or whatever it is, Lord. But you're on our side. And your Holy Spirit is on our side. And we know that he goes to work before we do, before we even open our mouths. Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to just speak up when the opportunity is there. Give us the eyes to see where you're at work around us. And especially, Lord, thank you so much for loving us, for saving us. May we just continue to repent and believe for our entire lives. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.